0: Hello. Welcome to Mule Mountain Messages, sermons from the pulpit of the Community Church of Warren in historic Bisbee, Arizona. At the Community Church of Warren, our heart is to build a Christian family as we contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We desire to exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and evangelize the lost with the loving and life-saving gospel message. We are located at 201 Arizona Street in Bisbee, Arizona. Our services are Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday prayer at 530. For more information, call 520-432-4722. We invite you to come and join our family. All right. So, you know, one of the things that you guys know about me is that I'm a, really a picture of health, right? And you, you know, I eat my veggies and I do a, But, you know, I, I saw this healthy living tip. It says, I pick fresh vegetables every day. Then I feed them to my pig and he converts them into bacon. So... Um. Now, this one reminded me of my dad, right? He was always telling me, Every time he'd look at me and I had a socket in my hand, he'd say, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, you know. And It got to the point he intimidated. Every time I got there, I couldn't, you know, I have to go left, left, okay, you know. So, so it says, one would have confused me for Bob Villa. I was trying to nail plywood under the eaves of a friend's house, but for every direct hit on the nail, I missed four times. Nevertheless, my friend's father, an engineer, was very supportive. He said, attaboy, Fred, he encouraged, you've got it surrounded. Yeah, so <laughs> that sounds like something Pops would have said to me. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. You know, I think all of you by now know that I kind of like history. And you know, Father's Day has a history, right? So this quick history, it was actually, Father's Day was actually inspired by Mother's Day. Mother's Day came first, uh, and Mother's Day came about after the Civil War in in West Virginia. And if you know about history, West Virginia had a kind of a split, it was part of Virginia, but during the Civil War, broke off because the ones in West Virginia were more supportive of the North, And, uh, but there were still families that had sons that had fought on both sides. And so kind of a way to heal this division, they got the mothers together. They honored the mothers of both the men from the North and the South. And uh, it actually caught on. It caught on because retailers saw there was an opportunity here, right? I mean, who's not gonna buy something for mom? And uh, so there's a big potential, and eventually Woodrow Wilson signed Mother's Day into um, law, if you will, or made that proclamation in 1914. Well, the first Father's Day, can be said, started in West Virginia also. But this was in 1908, and the first one was actually a time to honor 362 men that were killed in a mining accident in the local coal mine. But it didn't really catch on after that, but there was a a young woman in Washington State, and her name was Sonora Smart Dodd, okay? And she was one of six children raised by a single dad, a widower, and she really wanted to honor her dad Uh, just like moms were being honored. And she was successful after reaching out to retailers and politicians and all that. Uh, Washington State created Father's Day on June 19th, 1910. Now, just as a side note, European countries, actually, uh, they honor fathers on St. Joseph's Day which is March 19. Now, that's actually a great time to honor dads, right? I mean, Joseph was a great stepdad and guardian to the young Jesus. He was an understanding and supportive husband. And without a doubt, he was a godly man and a great example of fatherhood. So Europe's does St. Joseph's Day, March 19, But here on this side of the pond, the celebration of fathers was kind of slow to spread. And really the reason it was slow to spread is because men were kind of reluctant to have that day. They felt it was too uh, sentimental or something. One historian of the day said men scoffed at the holiday sentimental, the holiday sentimental attempts to domesticate manliness with flowers and gift giving, or they um, <clears throat> deride the proliferation of such holiday attempts as a commercial gimmick to sell more products, often which were paid for by the father himself. Okay, so. It was, it was slow, you know, I mean, after all, dad can I borrow 10 bucks to go get you a gift, right? <clears throat> and he gets one for five and pockets the other five, right? But um, there was even a really short attempt to create a parent's day to kind of combine it. But the Great Depression happened. And so that put a stop to this parent's day because again, retailers wanted two days that they could try to elevate their sales, right? You know, Dale and I were talking downstairs about, well, it's usually about the money, you know, and there you go. And so there's two separate days to increase sales. Then World War II hit and Father's Day became a way to honor the soldiers that were overseas. But by the end of the war, Father's Day wasn't a holiday, But it was pretty well established at this point in the national, uh, as a national celebration. And then finally, in 1972, Richard Nixon proclaimed the holiday, Father's Day, as the third Sunday in June. So there's a... Quick history of Father's Day. And we have Father's Day and Mother's Day. And you know what? That's a scriptural thing, right? I mean, we honor our parents on these days and we are told in scripture to honor our fathers and our mothers, right? So it's a good thing that we take time out to celebrate our parents for sure. After all, God created the family, Father and mother, Adam and Eve. Then came the children. And it is a model that has worked well for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I had millennia down here, but I wasn't sure if I could say it right. So thousands and thousands came with these. That's right. And each member of the family has a clearly defined role in God's, in God's eyes. And each member of the family has responsibilities to one another. It is a model that works. Which, since God created it, of course it works. I didn't have to add that it works, right? It's kind of redundant. If God makes something, it's going to work. Now, past Father's Day messages, I've looked at some of the fathers in the Bible and, and we've been able to get lessons from them. Uh, and I think most of us can name some of the prominent fathers in the Bible. Let me hear some. Just shout it out. A father in the Bible. Come on. Joseph. Who said in the back? Abraham. Moses. Noah. Yeah. David. Adam, Isaac, Jacob, right? All right. And of course, here's for now. Let's hear some names of the fathers in the New Testament. Oh, that's perfect. It's like a cricket in the background. (laughs) We We don't know a whole lot of fathers in the New Testament. I don't know why that is. Of course, we have Joseph. Right. He's the most prominent one, I think, of the bunch besides God. Now we are we also the New Testament uh, mentions like the household of. Right. So the household of so and so. So you have the household of Cornelius, the household of the Philippian jailer, household of Crispus, the household of Aristopolis. Narcissus, the household of Stephanus, household of Caesars or Caesars, and the household of Onesip- uh I uh, practiced it all day yesterday. Onisiphorus. Okay. And we're kind of making an assumption that they are fathers because they talk about the household, you know, so for some reason, not quite. It's because we have the patriarchs and because they're instrumental in setting the faith, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that fathers uh, are diminished in the New Testament. Far from it. We read today in Colossians some of the responsibilities of fathers that are outlined in the Bible and in uh, Deuteronomy as well. So far, uh, fathers are to be spiritual leaders of the family. They're to be wise in raising their children. It says not to provoke them to wrath. They're to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And they're to provide for their families, right? All these are scriptural, uh, uh, scriptural precepts. And, and they're also to protect their families, And fathers are not only important to families, but to society as well. And they're important because they mentor and model the proper role of men in society at large. Again, to be at the risk of being redundant, God knew what he was doing in creating the family structure And of course, unfortunately, man man doesn't know what it's doing because it wants to unravel and attack the family structure. And a lot of it is aimed at fathers, which tears at the very fabric of our society. And we see that in the absolute disintegration of the family across the spectrum of American society. And I might add, I might add that the ones that have to try to pick up the pieces in this often falls in the laps of the mothers. You know, and so it's not putting one blame any one place or other, but you know, fathers have to, have to, I guess I'm not the only one that, uh, you're not the only one didn't silence her. But, uh, you know, it's it's, uh, fathers and men haven't been living up to their responsibilities. But you know, the stats are very sobering. In, uh, and, and unfortunately, a lot of this takes place in the inner cities, but it's spreading throughout the country. Um, illegitimacy rates. In 1940, in the black community is 19%. 1965, 24% in the black community, 3.1% of whites. In 1990, in the black community, 18% in white, and this is the latest year I could find for more than just that. Um, In 2016, 69% black, 28% white, 51% Hispanic, 11% Asian, with a overall rate, illegitimacy rate of 39%, almost 40%. 40%. Now I see it in the school system I see it in the school system a lot. You look out across the classroom and the, the rare child is the one that's living with his mom and dad. Biological mom and dad. Now you look at these sobering rates and you realize that corresponding with these rise in illegitimacy, you have a rise in crime, corresponding rise in crime. And the reason is, is mainly because there's this epidemic of feral young men out there perpetuating the cycle who are, have no role model, have no mentor, have no idea of what it means to be a man. And you would think that the world would make the link that as a society, we would encourage marriage before children, but, and there's always a but, right? Uh, This quote from the Center for Equal Opportunity, a a non-Christian think tank, it says, but rather than encourage people to wait until they're married before having children, which is perceived as too religious or too patriarchal, it's much easier to talk about institutionalized racism or white privilege or mass incarceration and implicit bias. Now, that's not to say those things don't exist. I'm sure they do. But if you look back at the rates, the lowest rate for, let's just pick the black family, was back in 1940, which was right in the middle of Jim Crow and all these things. So there's there's more to it than that. Too religious, too patriarchal. Well, when you look at this though, the statistics and the answers are proven by people that are other than Christian, right? A lot of a lot of. Uh, not not very many other countries have this problem like we do, and they're not all Christian countries. It's just that God instituted the family with clearly defined roles, clearly defined purposes. And you know what? You can go to the middle of Papua New Guinea and go to the most isolated tribe in New Guinea or in the Amazon, and guess what? They're going to have a father and they're going to have a mother, and they're going to have children. It's instituted by God. It's not just a, a Christian thing we talk about. The importance of fathers in marriage is true for every demographic, every religion, every ethnicity, without exception. and yet it continues to get attacked. We have the term "toxic masculinity" attacking manhood. We have the mocking of fathers in television and movies. Dora and I went to the movies the other day, and you know now they have like an hour and a half of stuff before the actual two and a half hour movie, right? And so we are watching this, and there was a uh, a commercial for Carnival Cruise Line. And it's talking about taking the family on vacation and yeah, you know, it's good. Until it says, Yeah, you got your mom and you got your sister and, and and then it pans over to the dad and it says, Oh, I guess you can bring him along if you have to. You know, and some goofy looking guy up there, you know, pretending to be dad. Attacking fatherhood. I'll never do a carnival cruise line. Well. And. I got to say. Pride weekend. You know they have a whole month. And the day that they choose. The weekend that they choose. To celebrate. Their. What they celebrate is on Father's Day. I will say that that is truly insulting to me and offensive to me. Dora and I went out to go prayer walking Old Bisbee before this weekend. And I actually heard something because they're setting up for Pride Weekend. I had actually heard something I'd never heard before. And uh, we were in a store and we're getting these... I shouldn't tell on myself, but I was actually getting a, like a fruit smoothie, a healthy drink. Don't say anything, Dale. But anyway, and the guy in there was buying something. He says, Happy Pride. I'm like, Happy Pride. Now, look, I know. Remember, I told you guys last week or whenever it was, the world is going to act like the world's going to act. We can't expect them to act like Christians. But as a Christian, that that happy pride should send up a lot of flags. And why should it send up a lot of flags? Because pride is not a good thing, according to the word of God. And to say happy pride really illustrates the rebellion of man against God. Pride is a sin, Proverbs, it says a lot about pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that's true. Remember, the world is not Christ. The world is not Christian And all these attacks, all these things really do tear at the very fabric of God's order for society. But again, it's the world and the world is going to act in its sinful, fallen way. I'm reminded of the story in the Bible of the gathering swine that rush over the cliff together, all together, rushing over to their destruction. And that's the world for you, rushing over the cliff. So what do we do? So what do we do? I know that after all I told you, this will sound kind of funny, but don't be discouraged. The most important thing we do is to make sure we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We talked last week of the week before about walking in the spirit. So remember that. Also, remember, the Bible's clear that our struggle is not with people. It's not with people. Our struggle is a spiritual struggle. And yes, it's hard for me to remember that at times. And I get reminded time and time again, look, the struggle is not with the people. We love the people. Our struggle is spiritual and our weapons are spiritual, Second Corinthians talks about that. But they said our weapons are spiritual, but mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. You get that? Our spiritual weapons are mighty for the pulling down of the strongholds. Prayer, God's word, walking in the spirit, those are all our weapons. Also, you know, refuse to participate in any activity that denigrates the family and fatherhood. The world does just fine on its own. It doesn't need our help. Be informed about the true cost of what's going on and help inform others. And through it all, through it all, we seek God's wisdom in all this. He will lead us and he will guide us. He will protect us and he will keep us. And I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to leave you with this. Be content. As believers in Jesus Christ, be content regardless of the circumstances and regardless of what's going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's easy to get overwhelmed if you happen to watch the news. I uh, recently was convicted Uh, ever since the campaign, my campaign, I had a a, a twitter account that I would read. And and finally I got rid of it. It's, it's just it's just out there it's not that I disagree with what's being said but I don't need to see it in my eye gate 24/7. Yes, I understand there's a lot of stuff going on but the answer isn't in Twitter, the answer's in the Bible. And the answer is God. So don't get overwhelmed. Don't get discouraged. You know what? God is still on the throne. Amen? Amen. Paul told us he'd learn to be content in good times and in bad times. And we realize that our joy isn't dictated by our circumstances. You know, let me close with this definition of contentment that I got in the mail the other day. It says, contentment is realizing that God has already provided everything we need for our present happiness. Let me say that again. Contentment is realizing that God has already provided. He's already provided everything we need for our present happiness, amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided for all our needs. Father, we thank you that we do not need to be overwhelmed or discouraged. Father, we thank you that you are still on the throne. And Father, we thank you that we can be content. Father, the world is being the world and the world is not you. You said if you're of the world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And your word says, if you love the world, you don't love you. So, Father, there's this uh, separation, but, Father, we're called called to love the people in the world and to bring them uh, your word and your good news. Father, the field is ripe for the harvest, and, Father, we pray for the laborers for the harvest. And, Father, we thank you and we praise you uh, for your word and for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.